The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We hope you and your pets are well. Dr. Fleck, I read this crazy story. Did you hear this news story about an Australian sailor and his dog? They were rescued after being stranded in the Pacific Ocean for about three months. Did you hear that? Incredible, incredible. Right. His name was Tim Shattuck. That was the sailor. And he departed from La Paz in Mexico for French Polynesia in April before his boat was damaged in this amazing, crazy storm. So the electronics and the communication on the board, they were all cut off and they left Shattuck and his dog, Bella, completely helpless. The pair survived for months on raw fish. So you know what that meant? They had to catch the fish out of the water. They were drinking rainwater before a tuna trawler and a helicopter spotted them adrift. So can you imagine, I mean, how hot it was in the Pacific? I mean, think about that movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. He's on the boat. So he had aloe. He rubbed on his skin for protection. Him and the dog were in a tarp. I mean, how lonely it must have been for the awful. two of them. Awful. Just awful. So Shattuck had cancer at one point. So he was used to a raw diet. Um, he found that the changes helped him prolong his life by eating the raw diet. You know, as far as a dog goes, I guess if you're hungry enough, you know how dogs are, they'll eat anything. Um, so when he was found, he was super skinny, he had this really long grown out beard, white hair. And like I said, a lot of people compared him to Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> but at least remember Tom Hanks had that volleyball that he drew on at least Shattuck had Bella. So it's interesting. Um, it, it's just crazy. And neither one in all that time, they didn't suffer from any major illness. I know. That's completely crazy. I mean, no vitamin C, no nothing. So I just can't, you know, being lost at sea in the Pacific is like being a mere dot. They were so lucky to be found. And also think about all the sharks in the Pacific. Yeah. You know, and they go under boats and everything. Yeah. So uh, what I found was most important was an ocean survival expert credits the dog Bella, his dog Bella, from helping Mr. Shattuck a tremendous amount. And the expert said, I think that may have well made the difference. Comments, Dr. Flack. Totally agree. It just reinforces all the studies that we see where it says the canine, the pet, has such an influence on the health of us as individuals. Health and wellness. Health, health meaning both physical and mental. And there was no way to give up because he knew he had himself to take care of, but he also had Bella to take care of. Yep. So I think Each that other. kept him in the right direction. Absolutely. Now let's get on with the rundown of the show. Can you give us the rundown, Dr. Fleck? This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about how Tucker, the chocolate lab, helped catch an escaped convict in Pennsylvania. Popular dogs' names from around the world. A CBD study from National Animal Supplement Council with our advisory board member, Bill Bookout. The new hot summer movie, Barbie. Feline tapeworms and... 
Well, I recently left my dogs at a local boarding kettle when I went on my California TV tour a few weeks ago. You know, I was planning on leaving three dogs and one, of course, Wally, I was taking with me. But my big concern is that Mauro, he's my blind dog. You know, the dogs have a very rigorous schedule that I adhere to. And, you know, I was worried because I walk them. So am I going to find a kennel that was going to provide me with loving yet safe care with a few added bells and whistles? Of course, I knew that I was going to have to pay for them, but I wanted to make that kennel experience to eliminate as much stress as I possible, not only for them, but for me. But like I said, I knew it was going to cost. So when leaving your dog in a boarding kennel, it can often be a leap of faith that your dog, that he or she is going to be in good hands. You can never know 100% that your dog will enjoy his stay, but there are things that you can do to minimize the risk, the risk of actually choosing a bad boarding kennel or an unsuitable environment for your dog. So joining us today to talk about what to look for in a boarding kennel is Carmen Rustenbeck, the CEO of the International Boarding and Pet Services Association. Good morning, Carmen. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thank you, Charlotte. It is a joy and an honor to join you today. So I guess the $100 million question is, what's the first thing you should do when looking for a boarding kennel for your dog or your cats? I always start with looking at online reviews for the facility, and then I reach out to friends and family who I trust, who also have boarded in the area to hear about their experience. Then from there, I move on to actually doing a drive-by of boarding facilities. I want to see what they look like. Um, I think that's an interesting thing, a drive-by. I've never heard anybody who would do a drive-by of a boarding kennel. I know. Well, you know, I used to work at, so I pull a lot of stuff from my other areas in my life that I worked. So I used to work real estate. And so when I was looking for, to buy my first home, I always drove by the homes to see what area they were in. If I liked the look of them before on the outside, if I liked where they were at before I even would go and called my real estate agent to show me the house. So I do the same thing with a boarding facility because you want to see that when you're doing a drive-by that it's well-kept, that it doesn't have a lot of area that is exposed to oncoming traffic where the dogs could get loose and get hurt. And you want to make sure that it has a fence around it. Um, the fence is high. We're looking at eight foot high fencing. So there's a lot of things that you can gather about the facility just doing that first drive-by. You know, now that you think about it, I mean, my boarding facility was on a very busy main street, a lot of commercial buildings and traffic very close to the airport. And I think today with the homeless population raging throughout the country, um, you want to make sure that there are no homeless population nearby or you can break into the facility since so many breeders have actually had dog nappers break into their facility. So let's talk about visiting the kennel. Why is it so important to visit the kennel? So when you call to visit the kennel, the first thing you're going to ask is if you can visit it, you're not going to take your pet at all. You, When you get into the facility, now you're getting into the nuts and bolts of the thing. What does the facility smell like when you walk in? What does it look like when you walk in? And if you're uh, taking it from your pet's perspective, what might your pet see or experience when they come into the facility? So we want to make sure that, for instance, if you have a geriatric pet, if there's the floor is too slippery, you might say, hmm, I wonder how, if I brought my geriatric pet here, how that pet would do. Then the second thing when you when you visit the facility is that gives you an opportunity to do a walkthrough 
to see how pets are being maintained, how the facility looks and smells throughout, not just the front entrance way, but when we go back to where the dogs are playing or if there's an outdoor play area. For you to look at how the facility is constructed, do you think it's safe? Do you see wires laying around? Is there holes in the fences? Um, does it appear that the staff is keeping the dogs watered, the cats watered? You know, it's just like finding a childcare center. If you went to the child care center and the place was trashed, you'd say, I'm out of here. So it's the same thing with your right. boarding facility. You want a clean, nice looking, well-run facility. You know, in past years, sometimes people would say, oh, I can't take you back. You could look through a window. Yes. And see mm -hmm. because of your clothes having germs on them. I never really went for that. Yeah, no, I, I think that if they're not willing to make set time aside throughout their week to show people their facility, that's a red flag for me. Absolutely. And it's true. I mean, one of the reasons I like this particular boarding facility, it was very clean throughout and the staff was dressed professionally. They were very right. clean and they interacted well together, which yes. I thought was important because that, you know, if you have workmates that you don't like, it's going to be stressful and right. taking care of so many dogs and everybody has different needs with different breeds. Very, very key. So I'm glad that you brought up some of those points. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Carmen Rustenbeck, CEO of International Boarding and Pet Services Association, about what to look for when you are looking for a boarding kennel, a place to board your pet while you are either dealing with an emergency situation or you're taking a vacation. So while at the kennel, what questions should you ask while you're on site, you know, looking around? So when Carmen goes to check out the facility, I'm looking to see what kind of certifications they may have hanging on their walls for their employees. What, what kind of training do their employees have? And uh, is that training current? I'm looking to see if the facility belongs to an association of some sort which means that they've signed up for a code of ethics or a code of conduct. So I'm looking for that information. If I don't see it, I ask, hey, where do your employees get their training from? Do you belong to an association of some kind? So I want to know what they're doing for emergency. What happens if my pet gets hurt while in their care? What is their emergency procedures for that? What if there is a weather emergency? What are their backup plans for that? Whether it's in the winter time or the summertime, whether it's hurricane, whether it's tornado, flood, whatever it is, do they have an emergency action plan and can I see it? Um, and that should be very easy because here at IBPSA, we provide our members with a outline emergency action plan and then a fillable emergency action plan. So it is not difficult to, for them to come up with. Then the other things we want to look at is what kind of cleaning products are they using in their facility? Wow. I mean, I thought I was thorough. <laughs> Carmen, my goodness. Well, we're going to take a commercial break and return with Carmen Rustenbeck, the CEO from the International Boarding and Pet Services Association about what to look for when thinking about leaving your pet at a boarding facility. Also in our next segment is Celebrity Pet Buzz and Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at 
getthepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, we're back with Carmen Rustenbach from the International Boarding and Pet Services Association talking about what you need to look for when thinking about boarding your dog at a boarding kennel. Okay, so let's get down to what's expected of the pet parent. What should the kennel expect of you? They should expect you to bring in current shot records. At the boarding facility, they will usually uh, tell you what they need for shot records if they're requiring Bordetella, uh, most of the time they're looking for uh, dog flu, also dual shots for dog flu. So there's several things that they'll ask. So you need to make sure that your paperwork is in order way before the time for boarding. Uh, the other thing is, is that if your dog is going to be participating in dog daycare or your cat, because some facilities off, also offer cat daycare. Uh, so the cat gets out of their enclosure and they get to play with the human. Well, so for dog daycare, they get to play with other dogs in small groups. Uh, they'll probably want a temperament test. So make sure you get your temperament test done with that facility before you sign up. So this is all part of the pre-work that you're gonna be doing. Um, also make sure that you have read the contract and you understand everything that is in the contract, including if your dog or cat or whatever species that you're boarding should get hurt at the facility, what is your financial requirement and what is the boarding facility's financial requirement? Make sure you're really clear on that. Um, and then most of the time, if you have to have some kind of, like at my boarding facility, I leave a credit card and I've given them permission up to $1,000 of care before they have to call me. So um, that is differs by facility. So make sure that your facility also then knows who your veterinarian is and they have that contact on file and that your veterinarian knows who your boarding facility is so that there's a, there's no misunderstanding there that it's my boarding facility calling my veterinarian. Right. And maybe in some cases you might want your pet to go to your yes. veterinarian. Well, here's another question because I find that, um, and this is a big one for a lot of pet parents these days, especially since we've had so much adoption over the pandemic, 75% of dogs suffer from anxiety. Um, should you ask uh, the boarding kennel representatives, what's the game plan if your dog suffers from severe anxiety? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's important for people to understand that anxiety can be regulated a little bit with a little bit of preparation on the part of the pet owner. So uh, my dog, Java, he's a Labrador. We adopted him at three years old and he came to us as a high anxiety dog. And so we have had to take extra effort in helping him climatize to different situations. So for the boarding facility experience, what I recommend is that the first time you take your dog to the boarding facility, you want to make sure that you're watching the behavior of the dog and that the dog is not expressing fear. Fear is I'm scared of something as opposed to anxiety, which is the anticipation of something. So we want to make sure that the dog is comfortable so far and that when the caregiver approaches the dog or the cat, uh, that they are comfortable with that. So we're watching our dog behavior. And it's also important that you allow your dog to go in for just a few hours for care, and then you come back right away and get them. Do this several times so they get adjusted to this daycare boarding. And then before you go on vacation, I would board at least one time overnight. 
Well, Carmen, it was fantastic having you today. Can you provide us with a website so we can learn more about this subject and your organization? Yes, absolutely. Go to www.iB as a boy, P as in Peter, S as in Sam, A as in Adam, short for International Boarding and Pet Service Association.com. Go to the About Us page, go to Consumer, and there's a downloadable two PDF downloadable documents with questions that you need to ask. And a document talks to you about infectious disease in a boarding environment and things you need to know and understand. I think that's fantastic. Now, just so you guys know that IBPSA is the new ABKA, the American Boarding Kennel Association. Yes. So no longer look for ABKA. You want to look for IBPSA. Just to remind you, that was Carmen Rustenbach, CEO of the International Boarding and Pet Services Association, discussing how to find a caring and safe boarding kennel for your dogs and cats. Such great information. I actually am going to watch this interview again, contact the kennel and find out and discuss some of the things that Carmen talked about with me, because I think they're really important. Are you ready for Celebrity Pet Buzz? And now, the latest news about celebrities and their pets. It's Obsession. Aren't they cute? What's the name? The Celebrity Pet Buzz this week is all about Barbie as the movie opened in theaters on Friday, July 21st. But our celebrity pet focuses on Barbie as a pet owner. If you didn't know, she's a huge pet lover. She has owned more than 40 pets, including 21 dogs, 14 horses, three ponies, six cats, a parrot, a chimpanzee, a panda, a lion cub, a giraffe, and a zebra. No wonder she works so much and has a big dream house. She's got a lot of mouths to feed. You're up next, Dr. Fleck, with Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. Dr. Fleck, what are we going to talk about today? One of the most common feline health problems, the disgusting tapeworms. You know, these parasites, they live in the cat's small intestine and grow to be as long as two feet. They're made up of segments called proglottids and usually break apart when your cat passes them. So think of a solid worm like an earthworm. That ain't what they are. They're segmented. It's very unlikely to see the full worm ever. I've never seen one. Symptoms of the tapeworm infection can be hard to see, but may include some vomiting and weight loss. So most of the time when you see tapeworms, it's because you see the segments. That's why the pet has tapeworms. The easiest way, uh, usually tapeworms come out of your cat's anus while it is sleeping or relaxed. But you'll also see it when you're cleaning the litter box and it'll be on the poop or where they've been laying and they leave the segments there where they've been laying. Or if they are very frivolous and they have the tail up and they hang around the anus. But they look like little pieces of white rice. And if they die and they dehydrate, they look like yellow rice. So how does a cat get tapeworms, Dr. Fleck? Fleas, fleas, and more fleas. That's the major source of tapeworms. So what happens is, is that, you know, cats groom themselves. So they'll groom fleas. They swallow the flea. The larvae is converted to an adult in the intestinal tract. 
They can also get tapeworms if the flea is on the cat and bites the cat and introduces the larvae that way. So then it develops into the adult, and then you have the horrible situation in the small intestine. Now, one other source can be for cats, especially in the north, where they have ratters and they have mouse or cats. They will kill the rat, kill the mouse, open up the abdomen, eat the liver, and the larvae is already there for them. So you'll mostly see this in younger cats uh, or kittens. So what's the treatment for um, tapeworm in cats? Veterinarians, please go to the vet to have a treatment. There's really only one product that works effectively for eliminating tapeworms, and that's Praziquintel. Um, the veterinarian has that either in a pill form or he has that in the injectable form. The injectable form was much more effective. So if you're going to the store to pick up wormer for the tapeworms, most of the wormers are either totally ineffective or ineffective almost totally. Okay, so how do you prevent your cat from getting tapeworms? Flea prevention, tick prevention, but flea prevention. So what you would do, and also hygiene. So please, please make sure that your cat is getting a flea preventative product on a regular basis every month. That includes cats that live in the house totally by themselves, never get outside because we bring fleas into the house. If there's another cat in the house that does get outside, that can also bring fleas in. What about if you have a dog and a cat? The dog will bring in fleas. So we must protect our cats with flea protection. And you also mentioned cleaning the litter box on a daily basis. So you got to throw out that poop and urine clumps, put them in the trash bag and get them out of your house. Hygiene, 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 which includes cleaning and washing the litter box regularly using pet friendly disinfectant. Anything else, Dr. Fleck? That's all the Flex fact for the week. Thanks, Dr. Fleck. Up next, the cool I likey of the week. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Baby, it's hot outside, so what can we do to cool off our dogs? That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. Keep your dog chill with Canadian Pooch's cooling dog clothes and accessories. The company's chemical-free cooling vest, harnesses, bandanas, hat, and shoes for dogs protect canines from the heat all summer. There are even cool buddy toys. Just add water to various products, and the water-retaining fabric initiates an evaporative cooling effect. This chemical-free dog cooling method is a safe and effective way to keep your dog cool on hot days. As water evaporates, it cools the hotter around your dog, keeping their body temperature lower. Additionally, protect your dog's feet from the hot pavement this summer. Their dog boots have a rubber sole for dog heat protection and added grip for slippery surfaces. These boots also act as a water shoe with small holes in the sole to drain water from the boot. Breathable mesh fabric on the dog cooling products and hot pavement boots help your dog with heat protection, prolonging your pup's time in the sun. And of course, check out the other products like the on-the-go cooling dog bowl 
bowl with removable ice pack that keeps your pup's water cooler. Their cooling mats help keep your pup cool and comfortable. They're also made with that water retaining fabric. And lastly, I love the Chill Seeker Cooling Station, an enclosed shade for your dog to take a break from the sun. This two-in-one splash pad and shaded cooling station have a convenient carrying case, make it easy to take it on any summer adventure. It has a UPF of 30 plus protection. Just fill it with water so your pup can cool off their belly and paws. Check all these great products out at canadapooch.com. That's C-A-N-A-D-A-P-O-O-C-H.com. You've got mail. So Dr. Fleck, this question is for you. Tim writes from Tennessee that his dog Chaser constantly wants to go outside and that he takes them out four times a day. But now the dog wants to spend more time outside. He emphasizes that this is a new thing and he's already had the dog checked with the vet. He's fine. He's healthy. When the dog Chaser is outside, all he wants to do is run around erratically and sniff the ground like crazy. Tim wants your advice, Dr. Fleck. What is going on with this dog? What do you think, Dr. Fleck? Give Tim some advice. Well, the first question I'd ask Tim is if his dog is neutered or not. Most dogs want to spend time outside. If your dog suddenly has to be taken out all the time, he's probably responding to a female dog in heat. When a female dog is in heat, your male dog will smell it for miles. I applaud your effort for taking your dog outside many times a day, not just to urinate and defecate, but for stimulating him to the greater outdoors. Joining us today is Bill Bookout, the founder and president of the National Animal Supplement Council. Bill is also a member of the Pet Buzz Advisory Council. That's our council. So Bill, welcome back. We are so happy to have you join us today and talk about obviously this interesting topic. Thank you so much, Dr. Fleck. I, I really appreciate being here and it's a uh... Pleasure and a privilege to also be on the advisory council. Charlotte, thank you for that opportunity. Love you. So, and you're such a force in the pet industry. So I'm so happy that you said you would yes. be a member. Yes. Well, before we get started talking about this survey, let's have a little background. Why are pet owners turning to CBD for their beloved four-legged family members? Well, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, people want the same thing for their pets that they want for themselves. If we stop and think about it, what do we want for ourselves? We want to live a long, happy, healthy life to the maximum degree possible, right? And so we also want that for our for our pets, you know, extended family members. And so, you know, if supplements or CBD in this case can, you know, help and be beneficial in achieving those goals and results, then I think it's it's natural. The animal industry is a fast follow industry. What I mean by that is things that you see that gain in popularity on the human side for dietary supplements, or in this case, CBD, um, will also very rapidly and typically come over to the pet side as well. What motivated the NASC to complete a study about CBD in healthy male and female dogs? Well, FDA, as as people know, we've been on the tip of the CBD and hemp spears really since the Farm Bill was introduced and passed back early on in 2015. I testified in front of FDA in 2019, and FDA has been very consistent in their position on CBD. It's an unapproved ingredient for use in human or animal food. 
they expressed concerns for safety, um, you know, especially long-term safety. And we have a good relationship with the agency. So we engaged the agency. In my testimony in 2019, that was pre-COVID, um, I said the industry can't wait for two years or so for FDA to come out with a defined path forward. And so we're going to put together what we believe is a responsible path forward for CBD and other cannabinoid derivatives for use in pets. We're going to come back to the agency. We're going to present that. And we did. So testimony was in June and we came back in December. We said, here's what we believe is a path forward. FDA said that they've been very consistent that they had concerns for long-term use and safety in animals. And so the board of directors authorized the safety study in dogs to help answer FDA's questions for, you know, long-term use and safety. The study was, it was a 90-day study. We had a two-week washout period on the end. Um, so we did blood values weekly during the entire study. And then after we stopped the administration of the products in 90 days, we checked and we specifically looked at liver values and, and other blood values to make sure that there was no long-term concern for safety. When I say long-term, we asked FDA, what do you consider long-term? And they said 90 days. So we, the reason the study was 90-day study is because that's what FDA said they wanted to see. Interesting. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Bill Bolkout, the founder and president of the National Animal Supplement Council, about the organization's recent study about CBD. So you talked a little bit about the study. How was it conducted? I mean, what kind of, what kind of dogs were used? Where'd you get the dogs from? We conducted the study on healthy beagle dogs. They, it was a controlled study in a colony group with dogs that are used to demonstrate both safety and efficacy. Um, and it was on par with any pharmaceutical study that would have been done in terms of its conduct and control. But we didn't kill animals proving the substances were safe or establishing a least lethal dose level and LD50 level. So then what makes this study unique? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dr. Pluck. Thanks for asking. So NASC established for supplements back in 2004, the NASC Adverse Event Reporting System, which is the most advanced system of post-market surveillance in the world for these types of products. If you look at the way you know drugs are approved, and my background is I come from the pharmaceutical industry and, and human medical device industry, you know, studies are usually conducted for safety and efficacy, but those trials, no matter how rigorously conducted or specifically defined, can never really replicate the response when you get an article of commerce into the marketplace because you have so many more animals that are using a drug. An example of that would be carprofen or rubidil. When that drug goes through the approval processes, it's approved, and then once it gets out into the mass market, we find that there are potential liver complications, right? Yes. The reason I tell you that is to answer the question. It seemed like a long-winded response is we kind of did this in reverse order. Our system of post-market surveillance monitors over 1,400 ingredients and 6,500 products for risk in the marketplace real time. We have that same data for any cannabis or cannabis-derived compound, including CBD. So we have post-market surveillance data, which we included in this report in combination with the safety assessment from the clinical evaluation on these 32 dogs, there were eight dogs in three groups that were administered product, and then there was a control group. So we have post-market surveillance data that shows over a billion administrations. 
of cannabis, cannabis derived compounds, including CBD, about nine in all animal species, 19 serious adverse events. So statistically, the adverse events associated from our system is statistically insignificant, the safety concern. We back that up with the clinical evaluation. Usually you do a product, you do a safety study, introduce a product, and then you have post-market surveillance data. We've had post-market surveillance or risk management data since 2004, and that's what makes this study truly unique. So it combines both things that usually only happen after a product is introduced to the marketplace. That is unique. That is unique. Very, very unique. Well, it's time for a commercial break. When we return, we'll be back with Bill Bocout, president of the National Animal Supplement Council, talking about the new CBD study that they conducted. Also in our next segment, Global Pet News and Tell Me Something Good. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and and country. So we're back with NASC founder and President Bill Bookout discussing the unique CBD study. So, Bill, talk to us about the study results. Yeah, so the study results, obviously, we didn't know what would happen. And we really went at this. And I give the board of directors a lot of credit. You know, if if this if these substances were unsafe for animals, then we wanted to know that. If they were safe for animals, we wanted to know that as well, because, you know, we're everybody here, as we discussed, um, you know, we're all passionate about animals. We do this because we want to help and make a difference in the lives of millions of animals every single day, right? And we all have animals ourselves. So we did the study at five milligrams per kilogram body weight. Um, that was the amount that was administered. And uh, again, the results were positive. We showed no values that that drifted outside of normal ranges that would have would have caused you know significant concerns for long-term use of these substances. You know, the study results were very positive. We were very um, you know we were very glad to see that, obviously. And you know we we believe that this study will be published in in peer-reviewed journals of significance, and then at that time we'll certainly release it. Well, that is very impressive. It's impressive to me because as a practicing veterinarian, of course, Bill knows that we're still not in a position that we can really strongly recommend the use of CBD, and most states don't allow veterinarians to do that. Um, And we really think that most of us as practicing veterinarians, knowing the history of other people that have used that on their pets with the information they provided for us, know that this definitely has some value. So what Bill's study is doing and presenting it to JAVMA, that's one of the journals that all the practicing veterinarians will be reading. Sure. And, And I'm looking so forward to be able to utilize this product for many procedures and helpfulness for many of my patients in practice. Thank you, Bill. 
One of the reasons I really wanted to have Bill on, because I think that as a veterinarian, your hands are tied to a specific instance regarding CBD. But I think veterinarians need to get up to speed because when it is approved for use and the AVMA gives the blessing or kisses the ring or whatever they have to do, at least you'll know what studies are out there. Um, the one question I have, Bill, but I don't know if you can tell me the answer, is what kind of CBD, what CBD product did you use? <laughs> well, we used um, uh, from one of our preferred suppliers, and, it, and it's in the study. Um, and if you look on the NHC website, you'll see the preferred suppliers for the raw material. So we did use a raw material. There were four groups. One of them, one group was eight dogs that got CBD. One group was eight dogs that got CBD, CBDA. The other group was eight dogs, CBD and CBDG. And the other group was a control group. The suppliers of the raw materials that were used are on our website, www.nasc.cc under preferred suppliers. And they're listed, KND Laboratories and uh, Open Book Extracts. What can pet owners take away from this study? Even though everything is not revealed, what can they take away from you guys starting this research? Well, I, I, I think you can take away the same thing that you can take away for other supplement products that NASC members offer. So I think at the end of the day, there are three broadly categorized participants in this industry. There are NASC members that are trying to do the right things right, like funding a half a million dollar study to demonstrate the, the safety and risk of using CBD and other products. The NASC members are committed to contributing to a goal greater than their own individual company self-interest, acting responsibly, providing consistent quality products that animals hopefully will positively respond to. Well, Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. But before you leave, of course, can you give us your organizational links so we can learn more about you and this fascinating study? Sure. Um, and we have newsletters, you know, for the people who listen to the, you know, to the show, um, you can sign up for our newsletters. It's free. You can go to nasc.cc or animal supplements, uh, plural, animalsupplements.org. We are a nonprofit. Um, sign up for our newsletter and you can find out current information on the NASC website. And if anybody ever has any questions, you know, you're always welcome to reach out to me personally. My email address is b.bookout, B-O-O-K-O-U-T, at nasc.cc. Somebody has a question, send me a note, and, you know, I will respond. Because, you know, hey, you've probably seen my cat back and forth sitting on my lap right now. So <laughs> I love uh, I love my animals and just like, you know, just like other people out there, including you guys. So a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Once again, it's always a pleasure to have Bill Book out here with and us. Thank goodness he's advising us. He's advising us. He's an advisory board member as well as founder and president of the National Animal Supplement. And very Counselor. helpful to me in, in my practice. The English playwright Shakespeare wrote, what's in a name? While this quote is best known for his play, Romeo and Juliet, we're going to find out what certain dog names mean around the world. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. 
According to an article in The Scotsman, I'm going to share some of the most popular dog names with you and their meanings from around the world. So let's start out with Perla. It's a popular name for dogs in Iceland, and the name means pearl. Figa. Numerous dogs in Poland have this name, which means fig. And then there's Meggie. Not Maggie, but Meggie. This name is really popular in the Czech Republic for female dogs. Then, of course, we have Pecure. Pecure means little. Female dogs in Hungary frequently receive this name. Vodka. We all love vodka. Well, surprisingly, in Egypt, not Russia, where the vodka is really known to be made, you can find many female dogs with this name. That one was really surprising. Lovely. Well, it's self-explanatory name. But what's unique is this is a favorite name in Albania for female dogs. Then there's Perico. Many female dogs in Ghana are given this name. I couldn't find out what it means, but Perico. And then Medot. In Slovenia, you can find many male dogs with this name. Medot is a sparkling wine. And then there's Lady, just like the Spaniel from Lady and the Tramp. This name translates to Lady in Estonia. Number 10, Dragus in Lithuania. This name basically is the equivalent of naming your dog Buddy. Now, 11, Brando. You might automatically think of the actor Marlon Brando, but that's not what's behind this popular dog name in Egypt. They're obsessed. They love this name for male dogs. Number 12 is Mateo, Spanish for Matthew. This name is given to a lot of dogs in Colombia. Now, this 13 is my favorite. It's Sora. In Japan, this word means son, making for a beautiful and popular dog name. Well, what do you think? Which name do you like the best? Let me know. Write to me on our social media channels and share the name of your dog with his picture, of course. Time for the good stuff. And like News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something Well, the dog did it. A chocolate lab named Tucker, he saved the day. The manhunt for the escaped Pennsylvania inmate, Michael Charles Burnham, who was suspected in several crimes, including the murder of a New York state woman, ended Saturday evening around 5 p.m. Burnham escaped from the Warren County Jail on July 7th by climbing through the metal grates of the jail yard's roof. He then climbed down using tied together bed sheets. Staff members of the jail realized he was missing within minutes and authorities began an eight day manhunt that involved 15 federal and state agencies. Officials were tipped off to his location after residents of a property in Warren County, Pennsylvania, heard their dog barking and went to go see why. Normally, the dog comes when called, but this case was different. The dog refused to come when called. When they encountered a man, they asked him why he was there, to which he mentioned camping. Well, the property owner who watches the news recognized Burnham and his tattoos and left with his wife in a golf cart to contact officials. I think the dog followed along. All this was happening as Burnham kind of fled into the woods. Once again, I want you to know the dog saved the day. An escaped criminal is back in jail where he belongs. Now that's something good. Dr. Fleck, it's a wrap. Unbelievable. No bells today. 
no hmm. bells. Okay. Just wanted to let you know it was a wrap. Okay. I don't know. Sometimes you get emotional when you hear those bells because you know it's Tears a wrap. coming to my eyes. I bet. Yeah. Yes. Well, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Well, next week we're talking about how an older dog slowing down when walking could actually be a sign of dementia and how pet owners are now targeted for clickbait campaigns. Dr. Fleck, could you be so kind as to thank our guests? Yes. Special thanks to our guests, Carmen Rustenbeck and Bill Bookout. Yes. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet for making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write to us at team at the We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the like podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.